We had a new, ser- a new series called Different. We kicked it off last week. Uh, it is a study through First Peter. And man, as I am studying this, God is just kind of wrecking me uh, as I'm reading through how powerful First Peter is. So I encourage you, I know we have our CBR journals and we're not in First Peter in our CBR journals, but I encourage you uh, to be reading along with us as we are in this series. I think it has incredible value and will add incredible value to your life. Um, First Peter is written by, praise God, making sure you wait. First Peter is written by Peter, um, and he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus, um, and he is writing this to Christians uh, that are scattered um, over what's now modern-day Turkey. Uh, these, are, these are Gentile Christians scattered all over the place. If you remember in the book of Acts, Christianity started in Jerusalem, but then dispersed to the nations rather quickly. And here's why, not because of missionary fervor, but because of persecution. And one of the ways that God used to, to, to draw us to himself and then to get his message out is through persecution. And so last week we talked about that. We talked about um, how God's called us to be elect exiles, that we are chosen but we're scattered. We're, we're God's people, uh, but we're in this place that is not really our home. So we said we can say exiles or a.k.a. foreigners or a.k.a. sojourners or a.k.a. immigrants. This, this planet is not our home, or rather, this, this, this time is not our home. Let me say that. Um, we're elect exiles, and there's a coming attraction, and that's the coming of the Lord Jesus, and he called us to suffer through rejoicing, And today I want to talk about, since we've been called to be different, one of the points I tried to drive home last week was it makes sense when you feel like you're different. Because we're called as, as people to be different. He made us differently, but as a Christian, we're called to be different as well. And so since we're called to be different as Christians, here's the question I want to pose to you today. How do we live differently since we've been called to be different? Let's look at what the word says. What time is it? Good. Energy in the back. Whoever it was, I love it. First Peter 1, 13 through 21 says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hopes fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout all the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. I want to talk to you about living differently. Three points for my note takers. Number one, a thinking hope. Number two, a holy family. And number three, motivations for living differently. Let's pray again. Father, thank you that your presence is here. Thank you that you met us in this place. And thank you that you're speaking to us. Lord, I pray that you will continue to speak to us through your servant, Peter. He's with you now, but his, the ink that he put on paper is still speaking to us. Holy Spirit, Lord, just oversaw what was going to be written, and now it's here for us to read and to dive into and to appreciate. Thank you that your word speaks for itself. So, Lord, help me to just explain what your word says and let your word do the work. Father, what we need is a word from you. So, Lord, speak to us some truth you want us to know. Use me as your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, a thinking hope. Uh, one of the critiques of Christianity is that it is an emotive faith. It is a faith that is focused on emotion, that it arouses or enables uh, the intense feelings that will arise. And yes, our faith can be emotive. If you were watching us praise God this morning, our hands were lifted and some people were weeping and, and, and we were singing loudly to him. That can be described as emotive, but our faith is much more than emotions. And what I love about Peter is, he, is, is he's driving us to the fact that he wants us to be a people that think. Somebody say think. Ravi Zachariah podcasts for years and years and years are called Let My People Think. In other words, to be a Christian is not to check your brain in at the door. Bring your brain to Christianity. You're going to need it because God's going to be at work renewing your mind and conforming you to his image. You need to think. It is Dr. Martin Luther King that said years and years and years ago, it is a hard thing to get a man to sit down and do some hard thinking. Now, many of us have matriculated through colleges and universities, so we are used to, to cramming and staying up late and burning the midnight oil. But when it comes to our faith, sometimes we think 10 minutes will do. No, bring your brain with you because you need hope that goes beyond that paper on the wall. You need hope that goes beyond how much money you can occur in your bank account. You need a living hope, and a living hope is a thinking hope. Let's look at the text, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, somebody say action, and being sober-minded, set your, uh, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what uh, Peter is saying. Prepare your mind for action. Now, you would think it would say you prepare for action, but you can't prepare for action without preparing your mind for action. I think I'm listening to Nate too long, and I think some of my speech is becoming poetic. Did you see that rhythm? Okay, you missed it. Okay. He says prepare your mind for action. I love what the King James Version says. It says gird up the loins of your mind. 
At that time, men would wear long robes, and so whenever they would have to exercise or work fast or fight, they would have to pick up their loins, their long robe, and, and tuck it in their girdle. In other words, what Peter is saying, if, if you're going to live differently, you've got to get ready in your thinking. You've got you to gird up the loins of your mind, and you have to be sober-minded. This is, this is so good for us. Some of us, as we wrestle with things in our faith, we've we, we got to get to a place where we have a clear mind so that we can think about God. I believe who's, who, who, who quoted it, but he said, what we think about God is the most important thing in our lives. Peter says, get your mind ready for action. If we're going to get our mind ready for action, we need to take inventory on everything else that's in our mind. Some of us have so much stuff going in and out of our mind, there is no room for us to take action in our thinking. Some of us, our mind, from the moment we awake to the moment we go to sleep, stuff, it's, it's I-95 in our thinking. And this is why devotion is so important, a time where you are devoting your time exclusively to God so you can be sober-minded as you think through what it means to live for him. Because if not, you'll, you, you'll just do cultural Christianity. You'll just look up one moment, and it's Sunday at 11, and you're in church, and you're like, how did I get here, or why am I here? It's because culturally, that's just what we do. No. Peter says, prepare your mind for action. Amen? And he says, do this because we have an anchored hope. Our hope is anchored in Jesus. We need a thinking hope that is an act of faith. It requires a renewed mind and disciplined thinking. Let me say this. You need a hope because what we hope in determines how we live. In other words, until you have a different hope, you won't live differently. We'll just keep living the same. So what does it look like to live differently? It looks like living in a holy family. Now, when I grew up, um, my dad's a pastor from the K, so I've been in church for a lot of my life. And when I hear this word holy, it, even now being a pastor and have studied holiness, even when I hear the word sometimes, it still makes me, you know, makes me cringe a little bit. Because this word holy uh, can, can, can oftentimes bring back images of congregations in all white. And if you weren't wearing white, then you weren't. There you go. Or if, if this girl walked in off the street and she didn't know the code and she didn't know the culture and she was dressed inappropriate in any kind of way, when, when, when the folks saw her, it was clear that this girl was not because of how she was dressed. I grew up in a very religious tradition that, that ranked holiness from outward appearance and not what Jesus has done for folk in their place. Holiness is not what you wear. It's not issues of tattoos or not tattoos. It's not issues of trivial matters. Holiness, it's, it, it, it means to be set apart from the master's use. And not set apart in dress. 
No, set apart in your heart being set apart for God to use you. So when he says, be holy as I am holy, he's saying, I want Rodney to be set apart for my use. Set apart so I can use him. You see, when God declares himself to be holy, what God is saying, I am set apart and no thing that is common can come to me. I'm set apart for my own agenda. I'm set apart for my own will. And only God can say those kinds of things. Why? Because he is the only uncreated being. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Therefore, there's nothing common or unclean that can come into his presence. He is holy. And here's what he's saying to these exiles scattered all over. He says, the same way I am set apart for my own purposes, I want you to be set apart for my own purpose. The question on the table is, how can I be holy? Well, let me give an example. Uh, My wife is Kaisha. Um, Then I got to $10 after church service. Um, what is Kaisha? She is my, um, she's my one and only wife. All right? There, there, there's no other sidekicks. There's no uh, 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 B, C, D, E, F, G, all them letters. No, it's, it's just her. She's in a category all by herself, and I am devoted to her. Now, here's what this means. It means my relationship and devotion to her affects my relationship with every other woman. So that I'm, I don't want to put any kind of threat or suspicion to be even a thought in her mind. And so here's what I do. I'll set up boundaries with every other woman so my devotion to Kaisha is not questioned. She's in a class all by herself. There's nobody next to her, above her, or under her. I am devoted to her. Now what does that mean with God? Here's what God says. Be holy, for I am holy. Here's what that means. God says, I am in a class all by myself. I want all of your devotion. And he deserves all of our devotion. There is no one in our lives that should be able to be a threat to our devotion to God. And if it was a threat, Because of our devotion, we eliminate threats. And see, when God becomes our devotion, it's not saying, oh, okay, Pastor, what what, what you say? Okay, we're going to pray all day, right? Just as as many hours as I'm away, I'm just praying, praying, you know, praying to God. I'm just reading my Bible. No, 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 no. Because God knows he sent you out in this world to live in this world. But here's what he wants. He wants to be the center of your life, your number one priority. So when I look at everything else in my life, when I look at my my marriage or my singleness, God informs 
how I do my singleness. Because I am 100% devoted to him as he gives me the grace to be, he informs how I date. So his, his word speaks into my dating relationship. His word speaks into my marriage. His word speaks into how I raise my kids. Why? Because I'm devoted to him. I'm devoted to him. My ministry is influenced by my devotion to God and everything else that I do, every, everything else that flows from that, my, my career, my recreation, my, 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 my friendships, how I, how I do life, all that flows from my devotion to him. But if God is not the one that I am devoted to, then I make all these lesser things ultimate things. And I serve those things over God. Here's what happened. God becomes a footnote and not the center. Be careful in all that we do and all that we say. God is not a footnote that we add at the end to make it okay. You hear people say stuff like this. They'll say, da 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 and I'm going to pray about it too. <laughs> it's a footnote. He's a hashtag. Hashtag God at the end of my agenda. No. He wants you to be fully devoted. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you want to call yourself a Christian, praise God, thank God that you're here, you're like, right now, I don't know what you're talking about. In my life, it's about me, myself, and I. I'm on that whole list. It's I, 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 I. I I'm, I'm, I'm serving my own agenda. Here's the good news. God can take anyone that's serving their own agenda and, and, and save them so they can serve his. Now, Rodney, why did you not say the word change? Why did you say the word save? Here's why. Because if you're serving yourself, you're on a road that's going to lead you to an eternity apart from God. If you are serving, if, you're, if your whole life is about you, you are on a road apart from Jesus. You are on a road to spend eternity apart from God. Not just that, you're on a road that statistics and sociologists will bear me out that are, that's going to leave you incredibly lonely. Just as you age, just as you get older, to, to, to live a life that's all about you and your interests and, your, and what you want, it's going to leave you ruined. So what is God saying? To, to, to serve me and give me your devotion is the best thing you can do for your life right now. Amen? I love what Peter does because he roots holiness. And if we look at these verses, and I want us to look at these verses again, he, he puts holiness and he surrounds holiness with family. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in, 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 in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Watch verse 17. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout 
the time of your exile. What is he doing? He's talking about children in verse 14, and then he's talking about father in verse 17. He, he is blanketing holiness in family. Do you see that? Look what he says in verse 14. So as obedient children in God's family, we obey God. We obey God. Uh, my, my, my wife and I were invited um, by a couple, I don't even know if they're here, Lux and Edna, not Lux and Edna, Lux and Wilna, they um, invited me and my wife out to dinner. And so we call and we set it up, and somewhere in the conversation, our wires got crossed because she thought only me and my wife were coming. Um, but I got a village. Um, I, don't have, I don't have one or two. We have a small community that comes to dinner. And so when she said, she said, hey, Pastor Rock, and then when she saw my minivan pull up and stuff begin to exit out the back of my minivan, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> now, she was incredibly gracious. She was a sweetheart. She was incredibly gracious. She had enough food. Everything worked out. It went well. And as me and my wife were there, you know, uh, eating, we're like, no, our, you know, let's have our kids sit on the couch, and they have their stuff to do, and they, you know, it was a weekday, so they had homework and stuff to do that they had to get done. And so they're, they're there, and they're doing their homework and stuff. And at some point, one of them looks up in, at dinner, and she says, man, I, don't, I think I forgot your kids were here. They're so quiet. And I looked, and I said, well, you know, that's how we get done. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, no, uh, yeah, you know. It's one of those things where the way your children were behaving made you feel good. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. But here's what Wilna didn't know. Wilna didn't know that there was a pre-conference on the way to her house. <laughs> Wilna didn't know we had, we had rules. Hey, 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 listen. We, look, we are going to this house. When you get there, she also may not be fully aware that my kids don't always act like that. <laughs> my kids messed up. Your kids messed up. All God's children kids. I got to teach the, the original doctrine of sin because y'all don't believe me. <laughs> Some of y'all think your kids are just angels and praise God they struggle with sin too, don't they? So when God says in verse 14, so as obedient children in God's family, we obey God. Listen, my kids are not perfect. They have their own challenges. Please don't put those perceptions on my kids. My kids messed up too. Don't put them on the don't pedestal because they're going to fall down. We don't do passive kid syndrome at this church. Amen, somebody. They messed up too, but they better know at some point, if I speak, you need to listen. As obedient children, we obey. One of the marks to help us know that we're in the family of God is that we obey our Father. Not perfect, but set apart. Children, we obey our Father. I love, I got two quotes for you on this. The first one is, if God is not your Father... 
living a holy life will be impossible because holy conduct is the fruit of being a member of God's family. Listen, you want to live for him? You, 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 you want to give your life and serve him? You can't serve him without the Father's help. One of the things in worship is Mimi is singing. One of the things I was reminded of is, is, is that God is the one that sustains Rodney. That's what I got in worship. And boy, did it, did, did it help me and bless me to know God is the one that's sustaining you. You're not sustaining yourself. You're standing here, but not in your own strength. I'm sustaining you. If we are going to live holy lives, we've got to remember it is God that gives us the power to do it. Second quote by J.I. Packer says this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God at his father. Hear this. The, the, the crux of Christianity is that you understand you are his son and you are his daughter and that is your your that's your truth as a believer that's what you rest in when you're a mess earlier this morning rj is pulling out the stuff that he did at school and, and he's showing me a video and then as he's showing it to me he say but don't watch this video i'm like don't watch that video no 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 <laughs> now all my attention is what is the video that didn't go well no 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 it it doesn't matter because I'm his father. And a video is not going to stop that relationship. So in good days, in bad days, I belong to him. In, in, in triumph days, and in, in days where I'm at my lowest and I'm, I'm struggling, I belong to him as a believer. That's good news for us. If this is not the thought that prompts or controls his worship or her worship and prayers, and has his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that is distinctively Christian, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. That's why when we pray, we don't pray, our God. You can pray that way, but Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who are in heaven. Point three, so Rodney, what's going to motivate me for living differently? I want to give you three motivations for living differently. Motivation number one, God's character. The Bible calls him holy. A, a, a good part of your devotion and time with God should be reflecting on God's holiness, his set-apartness, his transcendence. The fact that he is altogether different. He is holy. And his holiness should motivate us to live for him. If this God is this holy, this righteous, this omnipotent, we should live for him. And the fact that this holy God loves sinful man should motivate our behavior. Number two, God's impartial judgment. And if you call him as father, verse 17, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. The second motivation for us should be, he's our father, loves us, but he's also our judge. 
this, this is a sobering part in our passage, verse 17, and it, it's almost written with tension built in because he says, if you call him father, know he's going to be your judge. In other words, is God your father this morning? Or is he an idea? Because he's going to judge us. Here's the good news. If he's our father, our judgment has already been paid. Our, our guilt has already been covered because of Jesus. But if he is not our father, then we will pay the full brunt for our sins, the full punishment for our sins. You know, Peter is writing this um, in about 60 to 65 A.D., which means Peter's probably in his late 60s as he's writing this book. And it's something about being a little bit older that gives you perspective. In the back, we were praying uh, for a church down the road called St. John's who lost their associate pastor um, suddenly lost their associate pastor, and they were having the funeral, and I got a chance to speak to the pastor this week, and so I'm watching uh, him eulogize his, his associate pastor and his friend. And, and in the middle of his eulogy, or towards the end of his eulogy, uh, the casket is there, and he's preaching, he's preaching his heart out, did an incredible job, he's preaching his heart out. One of the things you need to know about pastors is, is, is as they preach, they're giving parts of their lives, parts of their soul, as they're, as they're preaching the gospel, they're, they're laboring over the people they're preaching to. And at this point in the sermon, he starts pointing down at his friend that's gone in the casket, and you just see him saying stuff like, I'm, you, I can't, uh, uh, you can't come back to me, but I, I will come back to you, and we will talk, and, and, and we will get together. And he's just, he's just admonishing, admonishing the congregation to know there's something after the grave. And this is really the impetus and the drive of Peter. He's trying to get you to take your eyes off the temporal and look up to what's eternal. There's something about getting up in age that you just begin to become more and more acquainted with your own mortality. You see, that day will come for us. There will come a day. There will come a day for me. Will there be this gathering and people will be crying and rejoicing that my labor here is gone and I'll be with Jesus resting in my Savior's arms. The question on the table is, honestly, this morning, is that your hope? Does that anchor your life? Or some other security? Some other fallback plan? Beloved, anchor your hope in the resurrection 
Anchor your hope in eternity. Anchor your hope in the promise that Jesus said, I will come back to you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Tell your kids this. Teach your children to anchor their hope in Jesus, not in test scores. Teach your friends this. Come away for a moment from trivial matters like what's new in fashion or, or, or stuff about sports. Tell your friends this. Is their, is their faith, is their hope anchored in Jesus or something else? Finally, and I'm done. The third motivation for us to live a holy life is, is Christ's death. It says there in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the, fut the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. I love what um, Nate said about this because he's pointed out the, 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 the weaknesses in his own father. And this is good news for every father that is in this room. Tell your kids you are deficient. Good teaching. Don't be the hero of your kid's story. You're not. Good teaching. Teach them that they have a greater hope. If you're a father, tell them there's a greater father. No, Daddy, I love you. No, no. There's, I, I know you love me, and that's cool in the game, but I got to anchor you on something else because I'm going to mess up one day. And when you turn a teenager, you're going to hate me. Need your, I need your hope to be anchored in Jesus. So he says, not in the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. But watch this. How did I get ransomed? But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. Like the lamb without blemish or spot. So when Jesus sees Rodney in his mess, Here's what he sees. He sees me covered in the precious, spotless lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's your hope. That's your hope. Everyone's standing. I encourage you next week to come back. We're going to talk about growing up in love. We're going to continue in this series, in the book of 1 Peter, looking at verses 21 through chapter 2, verse 10. You want to begin to read it and meditate on it.